0: G'day, Osha here. Thanks for listening to the show. You might hear an ad uh, before we kick off. Simon Holloway's on the show today. You might hear an ad. And if you do, thank you. You're helping me pay Andy, my audio producer, and Rachel, my executive producer. So if you hear an ad, thank you. It might even be me selling you something, but thanks. If not, cool. You'll hear Simon Holloway say something cool.
1: Here we go. One size fits all. Seemed like a good idea for clothes.
2: Nice dress. It's a It's a T-shirt.
1: it has been
2: such a huge shift in a generation or two. Our grandparents ate a hell of a lot of their food from what they grew in the backyard or what they were, you know, fostering their animals. And And now the vast majority of Australian population is close to zero. Start growing your own food. It's not that hard. You'll make some mistakes. Who cares? Get on with it. And there's all these other benefits that are just going to come. Your kids are going to froth over it. You're going to actually taste a proper tomato. I mean, I'm serious. There are people, the vast majority of people have not eaten a homegrown tomato of our generation anymore. So there's another shift, right? That's Now, that's an easy one to grow, and it tastes a thousand times better than the watery cardboard ones you get at the supermarkets.
0: That is Simon Holloway, one of the directors of VeggiePod, and this is episode 393 Of Better Than
2: Yesterday.
0: Hello, and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thanks so much for being here. This is a bi weekly podcast. It comes out twice a week where <laughs> basically the gar- show is a guarantee. Something you hear on the show will help you to make help you make today better than yesterday. Something that you hear today, you'll be like, oh, you know what? You go to bed tonight and go, you know what? Today was a good one. It's a good one. Better than yesterday. That's it. That's all I'm here to do. Mondays I'm here with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. And I've been here since 2013. Thanks for the f- lovely feedback about Friday's show. I know I was venting a bit. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to dump that on you. But... I guess I'm not alone because some of the feedback I was getting on the emails there, I'm not alone. People go, yep, I got you. I'm with you. I feel the same. So thanks. You can always get in touch with me. Send us your email at gmail.com. If you're locked down right now, I'm sorry. It sucks. Really sucks. On that, if you are stuck where you are, even though it's winter in parts of Australia, there's still plenty to do out in the garden, which is what today's show is really all about. So let me tell you about my guest today. Simon Holloway is one of the directors of VeggiePod. If you've never heard of VeggiePod, they are on Shark Tank a few years back. They're a self-contained, raised bed, self-watering gardening system. It's not really self-watering. You've got to water it. And they started here in Australia and they've since grown worldwide. Now, this is not an ad for VeggiePod. This is not a VeggiePod infomercial. I just wanted to get someone on who's passionate about growing your own food no matter how much space you've got to grow it in. And Simon is the perfect person. You see... If you've listened to my earlier episode, what was it, 21 Ideas for 2021? I talked about lawns a bit in that episode. I'm perplexed by lawns. Historically, lawns started out as a flex from one rich person to everybody else, to their neighbours, to say, you know how rich I am? I've got so much fucking land that I make so much money that this bit of land here, I don't need to farm. I don't need to grow anything on it. I don't need to put any animals on it. I just pay a few little men from the village to shave it down with a scythe every week and look at that. That's how rich I am. I can afford to have this part of land not making money. And so lawns became a status symbol. And somehow early in the 20th century, there's a few different reports of how it happened, but... Once housing development started to kind of occur on the outskirts of major cities, lawns became a symbol of middle-class wealth and station in life. The industry that grew, pun intended, the industry that grew around lawns is absolutely massive. And so too are the impacts not only on the community, but also the ecosystem. Just to keep a lawn alive, particularly in a tricky climate like Australia, particularly at maybe a tricky coastal climate like in Western Australia. The amount of fertiliser, the hits to biodiversity by planting a non-flowering monocrop that doesn't support any pollinators, uh, not to mention the pollutants going into the groundwater from the fertilisers and the weed killers, also the pollutants going into the air from the mowing and the maintenance, but most profoundly the, the use of water to keep a lawn green. We water our lawns from our supply of drinking water. That boggles my mind. Like if you want to run a lawn, you know, and have a beautiful green lawn based on rainwater that you've saved, knock yourself out. But facing water restrictions, because so much of the water that we use for drinking water, water that we're supposed to drink with and cook with and flush our toilets with and wash with that water is going to make somebody's front lawn look green during a dry spell. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different status symbol that we can all feel and choose and decide so when we drive past someone's house, we go, that person's doing all right, rather than, wow, look at that green lawn. We just have to choose to have something else mean we're doing okay than a a green lawn. For me personally, it could be whatever you want, but for me personally, I'm all about growing food, not lawns. Under Audrey's guidance, my wife Audrey is its a real cultural Fijian thing to grow stuff, all right? She's all about growing it, and I'm on board. I'm all about growing food, not lawns. Under Audrey's guidance, we have three garden beds in our front yard where our yard used to be. It's superb. We get so much enjoyment out of our go- I get so much enjoyment out of the garden. Audrey's the one that created it and tends to it, but I, I love it. Wolf loves it. Wolf and I, I love going out there in the mornings with him. You have me talk to Simon all about it. It's great, and the food that we eat out of our front lawn is really tasty. So how about you? How's your garden? Send us your email at gmail.com. I'd love to see it. Let's talk gardens. Let's talk growing food. and let's get into the intricacies of the Australian grocery duopoly because it gets down that rate. It's pretty fun. Let's talk with Simon Holloway from VeggiePod. Simon, I'm stoked that we got to talk today. How, what are you doing today for people? Um, we're on a Zoom call. You look like... You're in the inside of a van.
2: Oh, yeah, mate. Half of my life seems to be living out of a van. And that's, that's what we've been doing, we, mate. We travel around Australia and we get people gardening and uh, in all different uh, situations. And so we're just doing an install here in Melbourne and uh, realized that I needed to get out in the van where I could talk to you. <laughs>
0: So here I am, back in here again. Hang on. So I thought, hang on, you are doing an install? I thought like the, the whole idea of VeggiePod was that you you get it in a, like we got ours and we put it all together ourselves.
2: Oh, mate, sorry I didn't come and do a personal install for you there, buddy. Gypped, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, look, we do the odd one here and there. It's like, you know. No, we don't want to blow the trumpet, but we're doing it for a bit of a TV show, this one, so I ah. thought I'd, I'd come down and do a little bit of a, a personal install. And, uh, ah, yeah. copy it that. all the time. No, okay, then. I get it. I get
0: it. Well, look, for, for people listening, they would – people listening would know that my wife, Audrey, loves gardening. And I watched my mum garden when we were little, but my kind of real <laughs> – I guess exposure to gardening and the joy that gardening brings has been all through, through Audrey and Sir. It started because we'd only been going out a little amount of time when you all launched. Started when mm. we we got a veggie pod. We put it on our uh, our balcony of our apartment. Oh, really, you were barely knew too. You
2: had only just started. Was it? Yeah. Well, we, we've basically only really hit. I mean, Matt was when he first invented a couple of years in the garage, but then eight years we've been going hard. The three Musketeers, as we call ourselves, so. I never knew you had one, mate. You never let us know that. you
0: know, know, I'm just like any other punter, you know. Now we've gone next level, man. We've built three wicking beds out the front and it's full. It's all on. It's on for young and old at our place now.
2: And that's what it's about. That is exactly what we want to hear. And it it always just starts with that first little plant. And it's, I know it sounds almost corny, you know, plant the seed, just grow one. But it's true. You grow one, and I reckon you're, you're a testament to this. You become addicted, and you go, "Hang on a minute, I'm going to go some more. I'm going to try this plan. I'm going to go another bed. I'm going to get bigger." And it's just an unreal experience, isn't it? Well,
0: it's kind of interesting because my and I talk about this a bit, but my grandmother, the ones that came to Australia out of after World War Two, yep. fully qualified doctor, had yep. you know three kids. I remember going to their house. They had a backyard in Adelaide. Well, I think the only thing they went to the store for was meat and tea. They grew everything. And these are two full-time professional medical professionals. They just grew everything like proper euros. They just grew everything. And – my mum had that knowledge, but she had four kids on her own, so there was a little less of that. But Audrey kind of grew up the same way coming from Fiji where it's very much just stick it in the ground and see what happens. Yeah. And yeah. the joy of eating something that you you created is something that,
2: I don't know, it's hard to describe, man. Mate, you touched on about 10 different points there. It's the, um, in terms of our grandparents, I think we're about the same age, um, That generation... Did grow. Most of them grew. It wasn't a little fashionable thing. Yeah. And, and, oh, I'm going to lead the organic lifestyle. Or, you know, I want to show people grew because they wanted to bloody eat. Yeah. Right. And it was a proper garden. It wasn't tokenism. It wasn't symbolism. They grew a lot. And half, as you said, if not half or more of their table was brought out of the garden and, and indeed their own livestock. And they had a bit bigger uh, yards again. And, but then our parents' generations, you kind of, they're the ones that started to miss the art a bit because modern life came to the fore and things were getting easier. To grab. You know, you love convenience and you take what you can get sometimes. And but they didn't know that generation, the boomers. I you know, have good arguments about the old boomer generation, but well, that's another that's another day, another argument. But the boomers started to lose that art, and I think our generation, nearly everyone, lost that art. They do a few little succulents here and there, but in terms of growing. A good, solid, edible vegetable garden—it was lost. And it's—I mean, I was lucky. I'm a little bit different. I grew up on a on a hobby farm, but again, like your parents, both my parents were were school teachers, full time working. But because we're on a hobby farm, they emulated what their parents did, and we're we growing heaps of stuff. You didn't even—I re- didn't even realize as a kid what was seeping into me at that time, where we're growing veg we're, having eggs and culling the chickens and we're culling the cows that we're growing ourselves. And we, you know, we, we did all those things, the pigs and milk the cow, all that sort of stuff actually doesn't happen that much to families and people anymore. And, and what we're trying to do with these gardens. And I I think, you know, you're part of that is then when you start doing a little bit, you realize it's not completely difficult. There's some challenges, but you can do it. And that feeling that you just mentioned too, which is hard to describe it's magic. It really is. It's the old Jack of the Beanstalk. Well, it is magic. You put a seed in and you watch it grow and you eat something. I'm telling you, that is bloody magic. I don't know what magic is if you don't see it and feel that. So, you know, there are fancy names for it these days. Actually, there's therapeutic horticulture, of which we're a major sponsor, right? So I can talk to you all about that. But that is all underpinned by that very feeling you are just talking about. And I defy anybody who grows something from seed or indeed a seedling and even does the one edible and you're sharing it with your family or your friends or your mates or whatever to eat. And if you don't get a kick out of that, you're either dead or you're not human.
0: You really touched on something there, Simon, which I love it because in the mornings, you know, I go out and uh, we've got two kids, one's 17, one's two in August we go out in the yep. mornings and we check on all the plants and sometimes he puts his gum boots on and we water them in the mornings and, you know, we see the little plants grow a little more every day and the things that my grandmother had and my mum yep. had was the, we are connected with these things. If we don't look after these things and we don't care for these things, we don't make sure the aphids don't eat them before we do, yep. we don't get to eat. And then I guess, and I get it through the mechanisation and, I guess massive kind of money to be made in the capitalism sense as far as our food supply goes between the supermarkets, our food supply became like it stopped being kids go out the back and get me some parsley or go knock on the neighbour's door and grab me some parsley. It started to be yeah. I'll be right back or just go get, get some parsley, jump in the car, burn some gas, drive down, come back with something on a piece of polystyrene shrink-wrapped and yeah. that then became it and that parsley yeah. was just dead. Straight away, you didn't have to wait four weeks or five weeks for it. Yes. And this disconnect, I mean, yeah, there might have been convenience to have this thing, but I don't know what that does for us as far as disconnecting us from the food supply and the fact that we human beings, we require these plants to be healthy or we will die. And it's <laughs>
2: true. It's true. And, and that's, I mean, you know, I always tell people when, they, when they're showing off stuff, they go, well, look, we can't live without plants Plants run everything, I mean, everything from even even the stuff that, that we should be doing, you know, like the burning the fossil, cars run on fossil fuels and they've got tyres which are made out of rubber which come from plants the, and the oxygen we breathe comes out of the plant. Everything we require here on planet Earth as human beings depends upon plants. Plants can live very well without humans things very much. In fact, they would thrive without us, right? So it seems almost inexplicable, doesn't it, that humans do not get it as a whole that the respect that we need to pay to the plant kingdom of what they give us and indeed all animals here to survive. And we really need to get that focus back on there. And and you touched on a little bit there too. Not only do we do good for the planet when we grow it, but all of those carbon miles, all of those packaging and processing that goes in for the produced food for us, which is, yes, convenient. We know that. It's and yes it's cheap but there is a price to cheapness what's the price of it being too cheap right is all this stuff that's happening to our markets and indeed ultimately the planet and you don't have to be a greedy and a tree hugger to get those logics if people will listen to it and and people don't think about it enough osha and i i bandy on about it like a like a evangelist you know and i because it's, it's all those little steps. It's not just, you just touched on the last bit, which you see the packaging and you burning fossil fuels to go get it from the shop. But let's go right back to the beginning for some of these things. You go to the store that you get the, you know, the frozen blueberries is from chili. Okay. Let's go right back. So there's the, the energy that's, that's used to grow it and the fertilizers. God knows what's going on to that, by the way. We don't know what's going in it, but they grow it. Then somebody gets. In a, a, gets a harvester, often mechanical stuff, let alone people, fossil fuels going on. They put it into a truck fossil fuels, off it goes to some sort of possibly a processing plant if it's actually going to tin food or whatever. You know, helping these noises get along. There you go, more fossil fuels are burnt. And we put it in packaging. How's the packaging made? The packaging's made out of oils and stuff which just comes from fossil fuels. All that. There you go again. Now what happens? Now we put it into more trucks because it's got to go off to the containers. Then we put it on a huge cargo ship. Over, she comes all the way to Australia using cranes to take the crane, take that off. More fossil fuels. We put it in a truck. Then it goes from the truck to the distribution centre. Then it goes from the distribution centre out with possibly more packaging for Australia. Goes out to Woolworths. Woolworths is refrigerating it to keep it going, fossil fuels, and then you've got the staff and everybody to run the store to make sure that it goes. That's all fossil fuels and all energy. Then it goes into your little car, which you just got to burn a little bit of fossil fuel put it in smackers, you take it home, you create the rubbish, show it out, probably waste a bit of the food too. Whereas if you're growing at home, you typically put it back into the compost. That footprint from one bag of frozen, you know, berries from chili is bloody monstrous. And we just, without thinking, just go, yeah, 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 yeah. And that is why and I've learned this quote pretty much off by heart. You probably saw that documentary, I should, you know, 2040 with Damon.
0: The same bloke that made that sugar film. It's a great, great exactly. film.
2: Exactly. And there's Eric Toinsmeyer is on that. He's an American, you know, really well-regarded guy in this whole area. He, he wrote the Carbon Farming Solution. He, uh, you know, was part of Barack Obama's draw, project Drawdown, right? So right at the top of the field. Now, he said, and I quote, the number one thing we can do as an individual, you and I, or a household, the number one thing we can do to save the planet slash reduce carbon emissions, the gold standard is,
0: come on. No, no, you do it. It's your moment.
2: Is is to grow your own food, right? So, you know, we're all out there battling doing all these things and so we should. You know, I'm part of Surf Rider Foundation and we're a bunch of greeny surfies and we're out there trying to stop development here and bigger stuff, which we should do. The number one thing you can do if you really want to make a difference at home at an individual level is to grow your own food. And that's why we get so passionate about it because that's what we do. We help people grow their own food.
0: And it's it's so interesting, Simon, that it's really only been maybe the last 40 years that Mm. this has been going on, that the process that you described has been going on. I mean, right now upstairs in our house coming into winter, there's bananas on my table in Sydney. They probably come from fucking broom or cans or something, yeah, all yeah. right? Or
2: even got tub. I mean, even interstate, yeah. right? That's what we're trying to say. Eat local, sustainable yeah.
0: food. There's probably fruit in our fridge that is so out of season, but it's been frozen, and the amount of energy it takes to keep it at that temperature where it won't spoil for the ever yep. weeks, nay months, until we eat it, is bockers. Yep. Now, I remember as a younger man, as a kid – Things would go out of season. Oh, stone fruits are back. Or, you know, oh, we've got bananas again. It's only been like the last 40 or so years or so when the very, very efficient way of mechanising and the economic expansion of our food supply and the the dwindling, dwindling, dwindling of the corner fruit market and the buying of the farms by the supermarkets, like it just gets, it. this whole food system has created this thing where we're so disconnected and, you know, we rely upon the convenience of this thing, but what does it do exactly? What's that model you just described, you apply that to, I mean, crikey! You apply that to beef—that steak that you're eating has probably come from Cape York, however many thousands of kilometres in a truck, and the, the refrigeration or even the freezing required to keep it. The energy of that—I mean, you know how much power your fridge uses. Put a couple months on that and make it a cool room the size of the you know an airport, which is how big those things are. It's a lot of energy, I mean,
2: man. Funny, but it's true, isn't it? And, and it comes back to that point that you made before because. It has been such a huge shift in a generation or two. Our grandparents ate a hell of a lot of their food from what they grew in the backyard or what they were you know, fostering their animals. And, and now the vast majority of Australian population is close to zero. I mean, it's been a great year as a matter of fact, last year we can get onto that in terms of getting people a little bit more conscious and aware of what they can do here. But it is, it's part of our job is not just to you know, supply our, our raised garden beds and, and get the veggie pods going out there. It's this whole education step initially, and, and we're part of that wave is to, to get people to say, start growing your own food. It's not that hard. You'll make some mistakes. Who cares? Get on with it. And there's all these other benefits that are just going to come. Your kids are going to froth over it. You're going to actually taste a proper tomato. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm serious. There are people, the vast majority of people have not eaten a homegrown tomato of our generation anymore. So there's another shift, right? That's now that's an easy one to grow, and it tastes a thousand times better than the watery, cardboard ones you get at the supermarket.
0: There is something behind, isn't it, to do with how late they're picked? I mean, I've been when I. It's funny when I go to smaller countries, say for example, uh, like New Zealand or Israel, and the the tomatoes just by what they are, they have to. They're like this was on a farm. This was on a vine yesterday, and now it's on my yeah. plate. Like yes. it's something about the sucrose content or something. How early they have
2: to pick it so it will survive on the shelf, right? Yep, that's true. But there's another little trick there too, and this is what people have got to work, be aware of. I hate it when you see in the supermarket, say, vine ripened. You go, Ooh, oh, that's got to be good, right? It's, and they have even leave a bit of the vine on there. Wow. that's a, It's got nothing to do with that because what is the plant stuck in? Now, the majority of the supermarket ones are in those big hydroponic, massive greenhouses. Now, they're getting all their nutrients from... From, that's why they're called hydroponics, hydro water, right? Chemically infused waters to provide it. Not what Mother Nature intended, i.e. beautiful composted soil and, and potting mix or whatever you've got to do, but proper soil where it gains all these minerals and nutrients naturally, but also gains what gives it the flavours, you know? So all, all that sort of stuff, it's, People get hoodwinked, and they they say the I thing because what you just said there is right. Those in in Italy and the Italians here in Australia, they're great, at, they're the best gardeners. The Italians and the, and the Greeks, right? Because they go out the garden, they pick out, and they say, "Hey, try this vine ripened," and you go, "Yo, bioti, tastes like a lolly," right? But then you go to the store, you go, "This one says vine ripened," I can see a bit of vine, it's hydroponic, nah, tasteless rubbish.
0: Until you've eaten a tomato, if you unless you've eaten the tomato in a salad that is still warm from the sun, <laughs> you know, like, yes. that's that's what I'm. Talking talking about. And tomatoes are great. I mean, one of the joys of having – we've got two – we've got a lot going on in our place. We've got two composts. We've got two worm farms. The tomatoes and the pumpkins, they're just the compost gifts. You don't plant them. They just show up. <laughs> them and they just go, right? They just show yeah, up. The tomatoes just, just show up. Now, we're talking about an Australia that is has that is gone and will never come back. It was Australia where the suburbs were expanding. People had large yards. This is where Veggie Pod is so successful in that mm. the very nature of our modern society is it's vertical living, people living in high-density areas. It's more efficient to live energetically. It's more efficient for us to all live quite close together as far as yeah. food supply and transport, such and such and such. We can't all live on our hobby farm, Simon, as much as we'd all yes, love to move to Tasmania yes. and yeah. live next to Tino from Gardening Australia. We, we can't. We're living in vertical spaces and we're something where, where a veggie pod is so good. Now, when you're looking at the size of the veggie pod, I think where ours is like one... Of like a, what, a 1,000 by 500? Like, is, that's about the size of it? Yep. It's the
2: a, small okay. one is, is yeah, a metre by a half a metre. Yeah, is that yeah. Or, or the square one's, medium's one metre by one metre, and then the large is a big yeah. two metre by one. Yeah.
0: But they, they can stack together. So you, you may have a whole front yard. You may have a whole backyard that's just beds and beds and beds and beds. Or yep. you could just have one of these guys on your small apartment balcony. We're yep. talking about growing food for yourself. Like, how much food can you practically get out of a veggie pod in you know, a full year of growing seasons?
2: Well, look, I mean, it, it depends on a lot of stuff, of course, um, just to give one of those annoying answers. I mean, it depends on what crop you're growing. It depends on the climate you're in. You know, The Brisbane growers keep crowing about how well they grow up there, but when you live in the bloody tropics, you know, it's a bit easier, right? You get good rain, you get good heat, you get good sun, right? It's a bit yeah. harder down here in Melbourne. So, um, look, it does depend on a few things. Also depends on how well you are treating your soil. That's another big forgotten one, right? They people throw in rubbish soil, or they get good soil and then don't refeed it and don't look after it. It's a living mechanism in itself. But we had it. We did some studies there with with Angus Stewart. You know, with, from ABC Gunning Australia. He's, he's a great bloke and a mentor of mine. And we were looking at at some of this stuff. How much you can grow within, say, the square meter one. And it, it's quite amazing if you if you go hard and you get all the right elements great sun you know six to eight hours plus direct sun which is one of the challenges for the high density living by the way but if you get the great sun you get really good quality soil because all soils ain't soils right you get some rubbish stuff and if you grow something that's a real quick grower and that's going to keep pulling out like your lettuce you know your cause lettuce just keep going 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 or if you've got a really super uh, cherry tomato that just spits out you know 400 cherries a season you know you could do You'd be amazed at how much you can do. As a matter of fact, I've still got leftover stuff and at my place I've only got three or four veggie pods in my own yard, let alone the shed, but I'm giving stuff away. So culinary herbs, I basically say to people with a vegetable garden, a a fairly decent one, like say a a large veggie pod, a two-by-one, you'll get all your culinary herbs in there that'll just keep going for the family, for the year. So you know when you're... You go and get those ones in the plastic, and it's coriander, which is a mongrel to grow, by the way. She's got a really low tolerance level. You can underwater it. You can overwater it. But if you put it in a wicking bed, it'll take what you want. And you can just cut it, bring it back, goes to seed. Coriander seeds are great for your culinary stuff too, and it sells seeds. So all of those ones where instead of going – to the supermarket you, cut, you got these little limp things for five seven bucks and then it dies within a day or two you have it used in the fridge you go oh god here we go again you can keep going to get those parsleys like you mentioned the coriander's the marjoram's thyme's oregano's all those ones and throw it straight into your pan fresh as or you, you'll be good something where you go towards the other end i mean leafy greens are about the middle ground you can go pretty well with those your, your sorrels and your spinaches and silver beets and rockets and and baby spinaches all those they'll go pretty well too because you're only growing a leaf but when you're going to the bigger stuff the the rooters and the fruiters as I call them so the big roots and the big fruits obviously they're a bigger item if you just think of it physically they need more energy more sun more nutrients to, to form the big root to form the big fruit they are a little bit more intense to grow and you you won't necessarily feed your family on tomatoes for the whole year you'll get big batches of them but they won't. But you will be surprised what you can grow. You'll be surprised at what you kill and what, and what grows when you <laughs> thought you did it, right? But that's all a part of it. What are the other benefits of, of taking
0: the time every day to water, taking the time to notice, taking the time to see how things are growing, taking the time to go, hang on, bit of a pest here, bit of an aphid, better get some oil on that, better give this a scrub. You know, What does it do for us in our day when we're spending time looking at our leaves?
2: In one word, make it happy, it makes people happy, and even when they're going through those parts where they realise the plant's getting attacked, it's that whole stuff that you were talking about. I mean, how often do does the modern day human do that? Stop and look, and okay, just be connected with something, let alone nature, and be responsible for caring for it and all that. Where bam, 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 go, 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 go. And that's why we're going nuts as a species. But you're right; it stops you. You have to pause. But there's all these other things that then come to it because you're, hang on a minute, you're suddenly getting in touch with the seasons. Oh, this one doesn't grow well in summer. It's actually a winter veg. Is that right? Yeah, okay. And what, oh, hang on a minute, I need to make sure. When does the sun rise? When am I going to get the sun here in this section? Because I need to get six hours for this one, but only four hours for this. You are getting in touch with the environment, which is what they call, as I said, Now they, they've got a school of uh, studies around it, therapeutic horticulture. I mean, we've known it for millennia, what you touched on, you feel good when you garden, when you're out in nature. You know, we call it forest bathing and all this stuff. Or I think we used to call it, you know, going for a bush walk. But anyway, you have got forest bathing
0: now. That's a direct translation from the Japanese forest bathing. Oh, right, okay. There we'll, you go. And we'll get to your Japanese adventures. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> well, I lived in Japan for a few years, so I do have a, I have a I love for it. But look, it's all this stuff crosses culture, crosses age, crosses any ilk, any walk of life. And I've seen it doing these gardens over the last eight years. Uh, you know, I don't care where you come from, what age, you're rich, you're poor, country, city, you know, everybody, and, and I'm taking even some real hard nuts, you know, I've gone to prisons and done some gardens. And some of these bikes uh, you know, <laughs> hard as nails. And everybody goes into this zone when they start getting involved. They're getting their hands dirty too. There's another thing. God forbid, let's get our hands dirty and get do a bit of yakka. You know, so all this stuff, the movement of the body, Getting in touch with the seasons, caring for something, being in nature, air breathing—all that stuff—it is good for you, and they know that from psychological studies. And now they're putting it even to you know these special schools of thought with therapeutic gardening, and that's why we're doing it specifically for aged care, for disability hubs, for schools, for prisons, for women's refuges—you name it—we're going to all these places because it provides that. And it's not just our gardens. Of course, this is anything. You could grow a gum tree, whatever. But it's special. And I've I've seen, as I said before, I've seen some people that you just would think, and they've even kind of gone, oh, I'm not into gardening. Now, that's the worst you get, by the way, which is what I love about our industry. It's not pharmaceuticals or weapons or tobacco, right, where people go, oh, I'm not sure about that one. Everybody, The worst we get in terms of reaction to gardening is, yeah, it's not for me. I'm not really into it. You don't get haters, put it that way, right? Oh, how dare you garden here? But <laughs> but so you get normally <laughs> lovers, or if not, these ones they're innocuous at best. And and my chat, my thing that my little game with myself is every time I, I look for the the one that's off at the most, and I, you can get them every time you start getting them, you talker, talking, they start to guard and get their hands dirty. And those buggers are the addicts by the end of it going, you know, what about this, what about that? And that's that's a beautiful thing because it's good for them and it's good for us.
0: It's really interesting the as far as positive mental health benefits, the the link between caring for a companion animal just Caring for something that isn't you, giving you a reason to get up the next day, even if it's a goldfish, all right? But this is (laughs) also true of a plant. It's also true of keeping just a house plant alive, you know? (laughs) Trust me, you can go to the (laughs) nursery. You can give me the thing that's the hardest to kill. No worries. And they'll get you something, all right? Because there's some nature's taken some shit, more than you could possibly throw at it. And nature will win. Don't worry. But there's something about caring for something and nurturing something that I think... When you certainly grew up on a hobby farm, so you said your parents are teachers, your dad, as soon as he finished uh, school, he'd come in, he'd take his whatever, boom, straight on the tractor, he's out there playing, he's in the field. So clearly growing and that sort of thing is a part of your life. After you Mm. finished uni, you moved to Tokyo. What was it like not being able to grow stuff for a while? What did it do for you personally?
2: Well, I didn't notice it first, to be honest, because I was so fizzed up on going, being in a new country. incredible. Wow, wow, wow. And, and, uh, but, you know, and, and it was. It was all the push-button stuff that I was like, wow, this is all modern tech in those days. So for the first year, I didn't even really notice it. And then it came to the fore. You know, I would go out on the weekends in, into the forests and whatever. But then when I was living in this rabbit box, and I'm going, oh, okay, yeah, it feels a bit weird. I need to have something. And I didn't even think about it. It wasn't edible gardening, but there was this tiny little patch in front of this rabbit box, literally probably two metres wide by about three, four metres long in front of my my one, and there were a whole row of them. And I went and got turf, and I went and got, you know, just some, some cosmos flowers, I think it was, just some simple stuff. And I just made my little patch there, and my neighbours started saying, go, that looks really nice. So They sat down, came out with me and we started, it became a little little meeting spot where I was actually picking up and learning a little bit more Japanese off the kids. I learned what an ant was. I <laughs> how to say ant. Yeah. It's those sort of words you don't know, pick up at school, right? So, you know, here it was and I went, oh, wow, this is, this is good. It's a good meeting stuff and I'm feeling better and they all started doing their little bits as well and I think that was probably the first time where I was outside a home and outside of that hobby farm environment, which, to be honest with you, I just saw as a lot of the time was doing bloody chores for Dad, right? So I had a little bit of – I'd rather be on the motorbike than picking up cow pats for you, Dad. You know, but that was the first time I realised actually this is getting into me and, and I need it and I need it to be part of me. And I certainly don't think that is uh, just for people who have grown up with it and, and that's the thing. So it's part of my evangelical mission now is, is for those that haven't had that, is to start them off with the one plant now because then they will realise that and they will for the rest of their life. Everyone, I say, as soon as you've grown a few, I defy you not to keep growing plants for the rest of your life, <laughs> whether that be indoors or out. Because as you said, you, you can grow them anywhere, generally. I mean, they still need a bit of care too. And, and going back to your point there, that is a good thing in itself. You have to look after something, right? And it's, it's all those little steps to go to these bigger ones that we were talking about before. And for me, it did start in Japan putting that little garden out the front. And then wherever I have lived for, for decent amounts of time around the world in Australia, I've made it a big thing of mine. And I, I'm already the mad plant bloke at home, right? The, the kids get, Dad, you've got plants in the bathroom, plants you know, covering half the TV, you know, get your bloody move movement. Okay. Uh, and then then I'm out there having to water them on the weekends because there's a bit of work. You've got to take them out, give them okay. um, Isn't that your job? Like aren't you sick of... Like, dealing with the – (laughs) no, this is my fun. This is great. Like, that's why I'm one of the happiest guys around because my job – it's still one of the best activities in the world.
0: <laughs> so how how did you come from, like you, you did a few things in your life and, and in another podcast we'll talk about being a dive master and we can discuss post-COVID world dive sites because uh, my wife, being a Fijian, I think they just they get their open ticket when they turn 13. they just <laughs> off you go.
2: The islanders is are naturals, aren't they? Right. I mean I did my dive last I did my time in, in Saipan after Japan, which is a – tiny island that most people in the world don't know about in, in Micronesia. And it was, um, I mean, back in the day it was like a little bit like what Bali is to Aussies it was for the Japanese. Uh-huh. cheap flights, three hours, party time, a lot of trash <laughs> going on. But anyway, so we were diving there. and But the dive masters and the guys that were driving the boats were the locals, the Chamorros, who looked a little bit similar like the Hawaiians, but, you yeah. know, big boned. Yeah. They were often big all over it wasn't just big bone they had meat and gravy on the bones as ricky <laughs> yeah. um, and it was the plowans and, the, and these guys amazing amazing divers and that was another little thing like coming back to the plants is that on that small rocky outcrop island with a with just a lot of sand which isn't the best thing to grow everything in i struggled to grow stuff in the ground and and you know it was okay for coconuts and stuff like that or pig faces which they didn't have but um you know that's where you start realizing again how delicate all this stuff is, and that we take for granted sometimes our good soils where we are, or you know, uh, we have an office over in in Qatar and UAE, and they're having to deal with you know, whole complete desert countries, right? So um it's important to see those different environments, I think, and and where plants grow and where they don't, and so that that was a good thing for me. you
0: yeah, know, this plant mad guy, and how did you meet matt who invented veggie pot at what point did you meet this guy before or after had come up with the idea
2: um after so after i moved back from micronesia i came to sydney because i could speak fluent japanese i, I it was the only thing that i had really <laughs> going for me in terms of a specific skill so i just went to a bilingual agency and i got a job managing teams of Japanese in an air ambulance company. Basically, it's another whole thing. And then I got into the pharmaceuticals game, which was a one little small step from that medical game where I was operational manager. And I was employed by Matt's brother, Paul Harris, who is the third musketeer. We'll get on in a moment. He's, he's the guy that people d- don't know about, but people should know about because he's the cool, calm, collected one. He's the CEO. He's the one that, you know p balance sheets, don't do that again, Simon. This is, a, you know, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, Paul was the GM back in pharmaceutical agency days when we were doing the dark arts there and I was his sales director and operations. So Paul and I, you know, wrung our hands for about six years together in that corporate world going, how the hell are we going to get out of here, man? Yeah, and right. you, know, you know, it would be at lunch times, or little chats at the office and then just go, oh, mate, we've got to get out, we've got to get here. But you know, where do you do it? How do you do it? All that thing. All I knew is that is if an opportunity comes up one day, I know I've got fire in the belly and I've got a few smarts, I'm going to jump. And I'd waited all those years. Nothing ever really came right. And then Paul started talking about Matt going, well, my brother, you know, he's an eclectic buggery. He's been a prawn trawler fisherman. He's worked on the stock market. He's a qualified chef. He's an IT project. But he's One of these guys that also, a little bit like myself, had chopped and changed different jobs and, and, and done what He's going, now he's designed this garden bed. I'm going, what do you mean? He's going, This is called the veggie pod and he's designed it. It's pretty cool. Check it out. So then I just started following it as a human interest story and I met Matt once and with Paul. So Matt is actually Paul's older brother and there was no other fools that were really listening to Matt. It was just Paul and I, you know, because, you know, it's a small thing. But here he was and smart, stubborn. A stubborn mongrel, but that's what you want, right, because he was failing. He's a Parramatta uh, boy. He grew up in Parramatta but was living in the northern beaches where I was, and thank God he was failing. And he'd fail at this and he'd go, I'm going to fix this. And then he'd go, oh, and now he's getting, okay, I fixed the watering, but now I'm, now I'm, it's getting too much and I need an overflow. Oh, okay, now that I'm growing things well. I'm now getting the plants, getting attacked by pests. I'll fix that. Okay, hang on a minute. Now weeds are getting in. Oh, is this, this, I need to make sure. And now then he took the mould uh, designed to a uh, Sydney Moulders and they laughed he said, mate, we're not doing that for the little small numbers and, you know, you can't do that. There he goes again, goes off, learns to plastic world. What? Like, <laughs> does it himself. Um, he just one of those bites puts his hands Wait, on. wait, wait,
0: wait, wait. He said, I've got this idea. And he takes the people and said, Can you build this? And they went, Yeah, no, 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 that's impossible. You can't build that. So he's like, okay, fine, I reckon you can. I'm going to learn how to weld plastic, the thing that apparently you guys do. I'm going to learn how to do it. And then did he build it and go, see, that's how you do it. Now just
2: make 100 of them. (laughs) That's right. And then it started from a little paper. It's got some classic photos of his little paper designs. And now you see it all come up out of the garage. And he plastic welder said, here you go, Moulders, this is what I need. And eventually he did start selling like down at the Worrywood organic markets there and, and uh, in a couple of nurseries, just to give a little, a little bash. He went to a nursery by the way, to pick up knowledge as well, worked at where there. And, and by the time Paul and I were going, Oh God, you know, shall we? And he needed some more dough to see this thing to the next level. And he was redesigned it because the, the big mold that was originally made out in Western Sydney was one of the biggest molds out there. This big, almost 1.8 meter by, one metre wide, huge box. You imagine it boop, and that was huge, which is all well and good. It means you didn't have to assemble. But people, about 80% of the customers are going, mate, I haven't got a ute, I haven't got a van, see ya, I can't put that in my car. So, again, the clever bugger has redesigned this modularity, which is what we've got all our patents on, which is why you got it in the box and it was super easy to take home in a two-door little charade and you assemble it together with no tools. He designed that. I don't know how he does it. He's the nerd on the CAD, right? Does all that you're good on you. But then when I saw it, and with my, you know, relative interest in plants as well, I was going, "Man, this is this is bloody unreal." And so he said, "Paul and I, we went, we're in." And that was eight years ago. And at that point, I went all in in terms of time. Like Paul, still, he's been in for six years and working in the business because he was still working for two years on something else. He was in for the invest. But that's when I joined Matt and said, right, oh, let's do this thing and started living out of the back of the van and driving around Australia and doing it the old style, mate, cold calling. And wow. uh, going for surfs in the morning, <laughs> get up, <laughs> build demos on the side of the road, go up to a garden centre and say, come and check this out. And they'd come outside and uh, there we went. What are you, were you married at the time? I was at that time, yeah. <laughs> I, I was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we all end on our better halves at that point. Yeah, by tell the way, me about you know? tell me
0: about that. Cause I'm sure people are listening going, yes, I would love to take yeah. a, a punt on an invention and then say, see, ya, I'm off to live in a van and drive around and visit nurseries. What was the conversation like? What what was that sit down at the table? Because you know, people are looking at changing careers, particularly after COVID. They've stopped down for six months and going, Oh, hang on a second! I'm doing the wrong thing. Shit! And they've, you know, suddenly they're they're all in on a mortgage or whatever. They're like, oh, okay, but I need to figure out how I can change direction and make you or me or us still feel confident that we can pay the bills. Uh, how? What was
2: that conversation like? Yeah. Well, that that was the very first sales pitch. It was all to get our to get our all to get our wives to accept us to have a crack at this. So, now, listen, darling, I've got to be off for a while. No, but no, look, I mean. It fairness us to them, you know, they, that's the thing. You know, we said, listen, I I think we can get by on the one salary. Gonna take a punt? And the fire's in the belly, by the way, you know, when it's your own business and it has to work. Otherwise it's all off. So, you know, when I spoke to Tamsin about it anyway, I said, look, this is my role. I'm going to be more of the sales guy, you know, and that's why I'm the mouth and I'm sort of people know me around vegetable because I'm the loud one going around doing this. That's my job. And so I said, listen, i got to get out there and sell this thing. And it's not gonna be, we just throw it up online and it's just gonna sell itself. We need to get into these garden centers and stores. And, you know, I had to ask her, are you okay with this? And basically I was away one week out of every two. So I'd go away for a week and I go down to Melbourne and I do that big horseshoe. So I'd start at Sorrento, you know, down the bottom of the Mornington Peninsula, go for a surf at Blairgowrie, then get in the car again and drive. And go back all the way up the Pointington Peninsula, come around through Melbourne City, then down the other side, down through, you know, Hoppers Crossing, draw Drolong, right down to Torquay. And that was a good, a good little garden centre there beyond Bells Beach, I tell you. And so, <laughs>
0: yeah, sure. i believe you, man. I've been down that road. I don't know how much <laughs> garden centering <laughs> I saw.
2: Shh, <laughs> uh, So, and then, then I'd come back for a week, be at home with the kids and, yeah. um, and then go and do Brisbane for yeah. a week, drive, gold case, Brisbane City, out yeah. to Toowoomba, up to Noosa, and just did that oh, solidly for at least a good three years till we got in. The other guys did a little bit of it here in time, but that was mainly my, my task. And, um, yeah, it took a lot out of the family. Um, but I tell you what, also with the kids thing too, I mean, mine are 22, 20 and, and 13 now, but it does put that into focus too, is that when I got that week back, come hell or high water, I was spending every hour I could. And then I'd, I'd be calling him. And so I, I don't think it necessarily took away that stuff. If, if anything, it almost brought it to the fore and made sure that I did do more. And then, I'd, you know, if an important game was on, mate, I'd hop on a plane and I'd fly, yeah. you know, just half a half a day, you know. And, and if you're going to make something happen, you've got to go all in. And that's what I tell to these other guys. You say, like, how did you do it? You know, how'd you get this far so far? It's, it's blood, it's sweat, and it's tears. And you got to get out there and you got to do it yourself and you got to go hard. And there is going to be things like that where, yeah, I was freezing in the back of the van, like, you know, when, and it's raining, it's cold. And then you've got a trailer, you've got to cover over the veggie pods so they don't get wet. And then you've got to build a demo in 40 degree heat and a dirt road out in the front of a But ve- it was hard. Then you're building demos at midnight in hotels. That's how we did it. That's how we got into these stores. And and I, re- I have really fond memories of that too, because it's about hard yakka. It's about commitment. And then uh, this is probably another whole talk, but it's what I got back from the mums and pops stores, which is what the independent network is about. The independent garden centers, the independent might tens versus our experience with big box. I don't know whether I should
0: name them or not. I think we all know who we're talking about. Like the hardware store that's as big as an airport we've all been in one
2: well and it's become the lexicon for hardware store yeah that alone shows you how strong the brand is rather than saying i'm going down to the hardware store even if you don't have that store near you everyone says i'm going down to the yeah it's very cunning isn't it (laughs) (laughs) it is quite cunning (laughs) right so those experiences and that that uh, societal experience, that yeah. economic experience, that business experience, the personal experience yeah. of just that alone is going to make me eventually, whenever I get out of VeggiePod, I'm going on another evangelical tour around Australia. If anyone would give me the five seconds to listen to me and talk about what these big businesses, these big publicly listed faceless corporate companies are doing to our society and doing to these, these villages which I've gone and seen and see through all the throes of death as they go through when these big death stars arrive in these smaller towns in particular that needs to become aware across australia as well we,
0: we talked a little bit about it as far as our food supply goes and that there was a fruit shop there was literally an yeah. independent grocer who had an independent supplier who was probably only two steps away from the farmer all right yeah. and now we're at a point where we have these massive public leaders companies that own farms or yes. have got purchasing agreements with a farmer that Change farming practices, change the kind of crops they will grow. Because I was like, yeah, you can grow, like, I think, was it McDonald's? Or like, we only buy Idaho round. That's it. That's the only. F-. And so all these potatoes go on extinct because they're like, we can only grow Idaho round. It was something like that. I don't I don't know, I know exactly what. But, you know, when you've got, like, from the top down dictating what kind of crops you've got. So Ugh. what's the quick take on this, Simon? What's the quick take on big, big, big kind of, uh, as you mentioned, Death Star corporations coming in and swallowing up little players? What does it do to the our community?
2: It destroys communities. It, it, it really comes down to the heart of the community. And that's, again, I I, I, I can't stand it when I see those little, with no uh, bad words about ro- Rotary, by the way, but like you'll see a, a, a Rotarian, you know, the, the sausage sizzle out the front. That doesn't mean they're good for the community, those big boxes, right? That, that's a little thing, in my view. It's a personal view. We better get this away from VeggiePod, right, in case there's anything. Yeah. But in my personal view, that is a th- very thin veil to make them look good for the community when they're not because I've seen it from woe to go. Or is it go to woe? Which way? But where as I'm travelling around Australia and selling into these small independent garden centres and mitre tens and whatever else and, you know, landscape yards and hydroponics schools, I saw it and I won't name the the couple of the towns that I'm thinking of in particular, and then you see it, Independence Day. These things are right. I don't even know how those communities can even provide or sustain that business, to be honest, but it doesn't matter because they've got such big pockets. They land it there anyway, right? In towns of 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, I saw at least smaller. Boom. And then sometimes it's quicker than others, but generally I see it over a two- to four-year period. The independent lumber Yard's gone. The little independent nursery. These are four and five generation family businesses, mind you, gone. The paint shop, gone. The little hardware store, gone. Five, six businesses, boom, they all die. And, they, you know, some of them try hard and they come up with different ways to compete and they've gone into uh, different furniture wares and, 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 and nice little restaurants and that's all good, you know, and it has done some good stuff there. But these prices and unfortunately Australians and another one of my my, my things about Australians is that at the end of the day, we're a big bogan culture and we, we vote with our hip pocket and a lot of us don't think. And we gave it because it's convenient and it's cheap. And I say, why do you go there? It's convenient and it's cheap. See, but there's a great book by Malcolm Knox. I don't know if you know him. He wrote a great novel recently uh, called, I think it was Bluebird, but he also wrote a book about the price of these two big, what is the price of being cheap? And how it is actually destroying what you tapped on before. So not only does it then destroy these communities, and I spoke to an employee there who didn't know who I was where I was coming from once and go, mate, it's a bit tough. I've seen these guys die down the road. And he goes, yes, mate don't worry about it, we employ them back.
0: Well, that's the thing. I remember my heart saying, because I'd never seen one of these stores before and I, I'm, you know, the, the little independent hardware store that used to be on Hall Street in Bondi down the road from my house where I think there were two brothers and, and another bloke owned it and they ran it forever and ever. They were all greybeards and, you know, he was l- literally the second aisle just behind the tap screws, you'll find it. If you shove the little box of tape out of the way, they're right there, yeah. like new intimately, right? Yeah. It broke right. my heart, mate, because about maybe a year or so later, same guy working at one of these places.
2: And oh, I was like, yeah. oh, man. like That's just another one. So they destroy a family business and they go, we're good for the community because we're putting a, a rotary sausage sizzle out front, rubbish, or because we're employing them again. No, he doesn't want your salary. He'd prefer to have the business that they had for many generations. Thank you very much. That also fed the community. That supported the local footy club and and sponsored them and did all the rest of it. And then also you get bad service because that poor old bloke was there by himself trying to look after ten aisles. You try to find a decent customer service around those big places. Good luck to you. Whereas if you go to the independent garden centre, for the most part, you know this. I'm generalising, of course, because you get some great. Horticulturists in, in the nursery parts as well, of those big ones. But for the most part, you get better service and you get better quality, right? So they're cheap for a reason because the quality, I'm sorry, they're not up to scratch. And if Australians think more again about what's going on there, you're creating landfill because, yeah, that mower was half the price, mate, got a bargain. But you're throwing it out in a year or two because it's rubbish and you go spend the same money again and now you're creating landfill. This whole thing, and it's American slash Australian, particularly, but it's in a bit of Europe as well. I, I feel so strongly about it now, experiencing it all, and the repercussions that it does, the cost to our community, the cost to our country, and the way that they treat businesses as well. If you become a supplier, there's another whole thing, right? Like you're saying before, they'll, they'll dictate we want this one, and we only want yellow pots, and it's going to be like this stuff, and. I, I've spoken to so many who have supplied in there because we're all glorified carnies, us, us blokes. We we do three ag shows a month. You know, we we'll go to the Dubbo Ag Show out to the right up to the big ones like the Echo, the Sydney Release. So we all know each other. The gum, the little gum boots guy, the quality ones generally, and and the hose guy, and the and the veggie pod guy, and all that stuff. And you'd see the ones that get take the carrot, they go to the big guys. All the eggs go into one basket, and then when they get screwed down. Or if they lose the contract, they've lost their whole business too because they can't go back to the independent network who they have, you know, told not to go anymore. You hear a heap of these stories. It's not unusual. So it also starts bastardising the whole supply network, right? And it's decreased quality, increased power. See, it all comes to this power thing too. And, uh, you know, because people don't even know who these companies, who who they're owned by and. That's another whole thing itself. You know, for example, let's talk about Bunnings. You ask most people, who's Bunnings owned by? They don't know. They just say, oh, well, is it a Bunnings? No, it's owned by the same group that's coal's owned by, West Farmers. You know, it almost should be a label there, shouldn't it? On every company that's wholly owned by some other company, it should be Bunnings, a West Farmers company, or something like that, right? And I, I remember reading, I wish I'd kept this article, and it's, if someone's out there and they can find it for me, they're good at that research. It was about? I reckon five or six years ago I read it in the financial review I can't remember who wrote it. And he said, between those two, we're going off topic here a little bit, aren't we? <laughs> but anyway, that between these two big companies, the Woolworths Group and the West Farmers Group, 80% of Australian, other Australian businesses are quote unquote touched by these two businesses alone. Now, when they say they define touched, and that could have been it was either a wholly owned company, partially owned subsidiary. It could be a buy-sell relationship like that one buying the potatoes off the farmer. It may be because they own an insurance company and they're insured by that company, or they're using the fuel in their cars that has come from one of those fuel-operated ones, you know, because it's so big. 80% of Australian businesses are touched by two businesses alone, and they say saying that's a sick duopoly unprecedented in any other OECD country and and I'm embarrassed as an Australian that we have that situation in here and we need to be more aware of it and at least question it I'm not a guru on it I'm not you know I'm not Ross Giddo Giddens or whatever his name is I don't know all the economics behind it but it's there and I've seen it on the ground and I've seen what it does and it ain't good Osha it ain't good
0: just a little break from Simon Holloway to tell you about my new podcast with James Matheson. It's a show called Idle Australians, I-D-L-E Australians. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. This week we had a chat with Alex Paps, uh, which was uh, pretty excellent. But we've covered all kinds of things. Basically, it's a show that explores the the bits you might have missed from popular history and popular culture. And episode three, when we had the old theme song, uh, Jim and I talked about the 1956 Olympic torch relay. The torch relay, the torch was lit in Athens in Greece for this one and it started on the east coast of Australia from Cairns all the way down through to Melbourne. To qualify, you had to be able to run a mile in under six minutes, but in North Queensland, seven because it's hotter. Is that right? You got a new far North Queensland discount. And the other thing you had to be able to do to carry the Olympic torch in 1956 was not have a vagina. Oh, right. Excuse me, speedy? Athletic? Yep. And man. (laughs) Yes.
2: 100%
0: man. But, yeah, the torch made its way all the way down uh, the east coast and it was supposed to arrive at night around about half past seven in Sydney. Now, this is a time before TikTok. Television was barely, barely there. So if the Olympic torch is coming to town. Hey. Kids. Jumping the Kingswood. We're going to check this out. Idle Australians with James and Nasha. You can find Idle Australians wherever you find your podcast. Just search I-D-L-E Australians in the search bar of whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. You might hear an ad here. You might not. In a moment, either way, we're going to get right back to Simon Holloway. I'm happy to hear you speak so passionately about it and you, you put it in a simplistic way that it was easy for me to understand and, you know, it's, I think it's fairly easy to grasp that when there's only two, you know, there's only, there's only a bus going left or a bus going right. Well, what if, what if I want to go straight ahead? I know, yes. no there's no bus that goes that way.
2: Oh, okay. That's why it's so important we as Australians, as consumers, you know, it's that age-old line, vote with your feet, right? It's not that hard, guys. All you yeah. guys and girls out there, it's not hard. Drive the extra kilometre to go to the independent. Support that family business. It comes back to your community. They'll sponsor your son's footy team. (laughs) They'll they'll sponsor your your daughter's swimming club, whatever. And it it provides this community fabric. And that's why also you'll get good quality products. You might pay a little bit more, yes. And you might drive a bit more, yes. But the positives and the benefits out of it, Australia, Far outweighs it, let alone you haven't got a big ugly thing sitting on in, in your suburb, by the way, but even just the looks. The aesthetics are bloody awful, right? Let's face it. So you start losing those little community streets, you know, where, where you did all mingle and talk and chat. It's coming back a little bit, Osh. I've seen the swing come back. Yeah. And those that have survived it, as I said, they've, they've learnt to differentiate and they've, and they've diversified their lines somewhat. So that that's happening somewhat. Um, and I think they're there to stay. But they do need our support. They need our monetary support and they need our vocal support and and they need just that little bit of effort because it, it's not hard to do. And, and I, I refuse to go to the big ones on everything, whether it's my vegetables going to, you know, I'll go to the small uh, green gracer, or whether it's my tools, whether it's my gardening you can do it australia we we can make this a better market a better economy and a better society <laughs> mate i love that we started talking about gardening
0: and fresh basil in a salad and we end yep. up with these gigantic macroeconomic <laughs> arguments against uh, the duopolies in our <laughs> country it's all linked uh, I love it's it. But weird. that's the thing. I love it, dude. I love it. And we yeah. we, we meandered through mental health and that, and, and how you can benefit yourself and your family by nourishing them, spending your time yes. mindfully among your plants, being outside. doesn't take heaps. It's literally a couple of minutes a day. Out there, yeah. how are the leaves going? Oops, it's the aphids. bit of water, bit of nourishment, bit of nutrition there, put my compost, get my compost to turn, all right, off to work. doesn't take a lot, but it's just doesn't. enough to touch it every day that gives you those things. I certainly hope that people listening, I know COVID was big for you. I know you sold out pretty quick. It was like toilet paper, but for veggie pods. Um, just less, you know, they didn't do a special on Current Affair of, of you stacking a, a trolley full of them. But yeah, your, your business went bananas through COVID. Yeah. And it sounds like it's because people were just, I'm going to be stuck in my house for this long. I need something. I know what works. I'm going to put some seeds in the ground.
2: Yeah. It was a great time for horticulture and the planet which is linked to all that growing that, that last year. I mean, we, and we were just lucky enough to be in that space. And uh, Veggie obviously sold well because they, they make growing easy. But the whole horticulture industry as a whole, whether you were selling shovels or the seeds or beds or decks, went well because people were at home. And you're right. They're thinking, what should I do now? You know, like I'm in my little prison. Uh, <laughs> you know, what, what do I do? And one of the best things that people started to realise was, oh, actually, it's not just a chore. Now yeah. that I'm engaging with my garden yeah. and I'm watching things grow, which comes back to that very first point I think we made, was that if you grow one thing, you'll probably keep growing for the rest of your life because it made people feel good and it was a family thing. It's not like something that that divides the family, is it? Like, you know, like... I don't want to ever see or touch a playbook, uh, what are they called? PlayStations or whatever, but the kids might. Likewise, you know, when 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 we're doing something that's an adult affair and it might be, you know, having a having a whiskey out the back, that's not something you can share with your kids. Gardening is something that the whole family can share, at whatever age and wherever they're coming from. And I think everybody found that out. And it was not only just a great personal thing internally, but family thing or mates or partners or whatever, whatever it is, it brought people together. And we've got so many photos on, we noticed that change happened on our Instagram and and, and Facebook posts that there are a lot more of these group photos and family photos and the, and the mum and the dad of the kids. And and what a beautiful thing that was, you know, and, and we were just so happy that we were just a, a small part of that. And um, again, I think if, if anyone's out there, if they just throw a couple of those little seeds in, and just get a bit, bit of good soil, give it some sun, watch the magic.
0: Oh, man, and it, was, it did get, it wasn't just your veggie pods. Remember, uh, Diggers Club were like, yeah, sorry, bad luck, we're out. Sorry, <laughs> forget about it. But that's about the time when my, my youngest brother, he's mad into this. He, he, we built our wicking beds off his design. He had, he's got the chicken coop. He's got the whole system. Yeah. He's got the whole system. But his big thing is like, mate, food is free. Yeah. The plants make their own seeds. What are you buying seeds for? Yeah, you know, he's he's in this whole. He puts and this is nothing SARS. He like puts seeds, like dill seeds or coriander seeds, or whatever, in an envelope. He sends them to someone that he met on you know, on some gardening group, and then they send him some Chinese eggplant and something else that's pretty rad. <laughs>
2: yeah, oh, the heirloom varieties are oh. going berserk now, which is a great thing, which is where diggers obviously specialise in. It. And and yeah, you know, I get people sending me seeds and say trying this. I'm learning all the time. Uh, mate, what is
0: mate. Have you got a Fijian bongo chili at your place? You, sir, you need a Fijian bongo chilli. Listen, I'm not okay with Australian biosecurity laws. I'm not exactly sure how these chilli seeds made it to Australia. We just have a plant. In our house, okay? Yes. One of our relatives gave us one of these chilies. We dried out the seeds and now we've got like six of these things around our house. These things will knock your socks off. They're delicious. They're native to Fiji.
2: They're not super, super hot where you, you burn and blister, are they?
0: No, no. They're not like the crazy, like the white ghost peppers. They're not like that, okay. but they're really flavorful. See, that's another important
2: point, actually, what you make. See, you're talking about. Cooking, right? Yeah, yeah, it's one tiny step to grow food and cooking. I mean, it's indeed, you know, with our little plug, like we've had so many of the master chefs come to us. You know, the, the Simon Tuis and and the Tessas and the Amelias and of the world are coming to us and grabbing pods because it's not hard to understand that, is it? Because if you're into food, so if you're a foodie out there and you you love cooking or you love that whole that whole ceremony of giving food and all that stuff, just go one little step back and grow some. And it will just, you, your whole appreciation and love for what you do already will grow another exponential growth. You know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I love that how, which is why we're into edible gardening. I I, I kind of, you know, that's my specialty. I love aesthetical gardens and, and and all the other stuff that it provides, but I'm into edible gardening. The fact that you grow food and then you, then you go into the next step where we're cooking and we're pickling. I mean, you should pick all those chilies, uh, you know, or doing all that stuff and, and that's another whole engagement that what edible gardening does for you. And, and it, you know, how good's that?
0: Mate, I'm a big fan. It was a, my friend Yumi. She's all about grow food, not lawns. And um, yep. that's what we've done at our place. And honestly, a, a couple of good garden beds, so much easier to take care of than a lawn. Yeah. <laughs> um, right?
2: it's really easy and, it, and it's more productive and you're <laughs> not using fossil fuels to burn a mower to get out there and mow it I know some people love mowing there because I've had that argument too but well, I love mowing my lawn it's my zen I said well go and zen out and grow some corn it's yeah. the same right yeah. it's much better for you the society and the planet so. <laughs> it encourages
0: the biodiversity you're putting more flowers out there you're giving you know, native bees European ice bees you're giving spiders you're giving everything lizards everything a place to live which is yes. really really important all these little creatures are vital to our food supply and we need to give them places to live. Mate, I could rap with you all day, but you're in a van on the side of the road and we're men of a certain age, so both of us probably need to pee. So um, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's getting
1: more and more often. It is, you know, I know. This is it
0: comes as you round those big round numbers. Uh, oh. it gets that way. Stoked that I could speak with you, mate. And I certainly hope that everyone listening is going. If they don't buy one of your veggie pods, at least just get out there, throw some seeds in the ground and see what happens. You bet. Bloody great to talk to you, mate. Have a cracking afternoon. Mate,
2: thanks for giving me the time, and it's always great to speak to a fellow
0: gardener, mate. So oh, mate, uh, I'm a gardener by association, it's Audrey. It's the gardener. Oh, now you're in, it. mate.
2: You are an addict. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that was Simon Holloway. If you're interested, you can go get a veggie pod. If not, I could care less. Just grow something. Doesn't matter. Grow a plant. Grow any plant. Grow a flower. But if you want to grow food, food's good. But you can hear in his voice how much joy he got out of his garden, particularly when he was stuck in Japan. I can relate to that. The amount of joy that I get out of the garden that Audrey has made at our home is just brilliant, and I would thoroughly recommend it. It's, it's great and tasty, real tasty. Yeah, hope you dug it. Send me photos. Fi- dug it, see? Huh? Send me photos. Send us email at gmail.com. Send me photos of what you cooked with the things from your garden. Love it. Got it, Jet. Thanks for being here. Back on Thursday with another Epivital Australians with Jimmy. I'm back here on Friday. If you need me, send us your email at gmail.com. If you like this show, the best thing you can do for me is to tell a friend, tell someone else about the podcast. Then you'll be a legend. That's the the best thing you can possibly do. Thanks very much, Andy Maher, the audio producer on this show, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer, and you for listening. No you, no show. That's it. So thanks heaps. Love you for listening. Safe lockdown. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Be kind, do some gardening, do whatever you gotta do. We just have to wait this shit out, I reckon. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.